Hello, I'm Dr. Ishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. Have you heard of sleep divorce? Do you know any couple who actually are married happily but sleep in different rooms? How does sleep really impact our intimate relationship? Today, our guest is Dr. Wendy Troxell, the senior behavioral and social scientist at the Rand Corporation. And the author of Sharing the Covers: Every Couple's Guide to Better Sleep. She is internationally recognized for her research on sleep and the consequences of sleep loss on health, relationship, and the economy. Ariana Huffington named her one of the five most influential people in sleep. I read her book personally and really loved it. Cannot wait to bring her to the show. Before get started, please remember to subscribe to our email newsletter at deepintosleep.co. Then you will get updates on the newest episode and the newest sleep science knowledge. Now let's welcome Dr. Troxel. Hi, Dr. Troxel. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So I have read your book. And it's、uh, I notice it's in your background too. Sharing the cover, yeah, it's an awesome book. So you are actually one of the first sleep psychologists I know who really study both sleep and the couple relationship, which is awesome. So I'm so curious, what got you into this topic originally? Great question. Yeah, I began my interest in the coupled nature of sleep、um, while I was in graduate school. Now, nearly twenty years ago, I was working on my dissertation, and my original research, my PhD, was focused on understanding the connections between our closest relationships and physical health outcomes, including heart disease risk. So we know that. Um, people who are married,、uh, marital relationships or marital life relationships, tend to live longer, happier, and healthier lives than those who are unmarried or unpartnered. But it's not just being married that matters; it's being in a high-quality relationship that matters for health outcomes. And so, my early work was focused on these links between marital quality and, you know, health outcomes like heart disease. But then, I, as I dove deeper, I wanted to understand: Well, how is it that marriages get under the skin to impact these protracted disease processes like heart disease? And so, I began by looking at some of the usual suspects, like other people were at the time. Like, well, maybe if you have a partner and you're in a good relationship, you're more likely to engage in exercise or have a healthy diet or take your medications. All of which is true. But in the literature, there was this one neglected area, which is a critical health behavior, and it happens to be the one health behavior behavior that couples regularly engage in together, and that is sleep. And so I started looking at sleep and wondering, well, why is it that most adults do in fact sleep with a partner, and yet sleep science at the time was still entirely viewing sleep as an individual behavior. And I thought that that was really surprising, and it really sort of led me down the journey where I am today of starting to understand not only how important sleep is for our physical and mental health and our productivity and well-being overall, but also how sleep intersects with our closest relationships, including how relationships affect sleep 
and how our sleep can affect our closest relationships and how that dynamic, a vicious or virtuous cycle, in fact, could impact other health outcomes like heart disease risk. That's really how I arrived at um, my area of research that I've been studying for the past 20 years now. Wow, amazing. It's such a, I think, important topic, but kind of neglected in a way, right? I don't know whether we take it for granted or we just not pay attention to it. And at least, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. If you just think about how sleep is studied and the history of sleep science as a field, what do we do? We bring individuals into a laboratory and we isolate them as much as possible, trying to remove all the disturbances or distractions that are in fact a critical part of what the actual real world sleep experience is, including the fact that for many people it's shared. And you know we've seen such tremendous growth in the field of sleep over the past 20 years, including this increasing recognition that sleep is in fact a shared behavior and it should be viewed in the social context in which it occurs. Right. I grew up in China, you know, and uh, when I look at many Asian couples, especially older Asian couples, I don't know whether it's because a lot of Chinese men snore really bad or or why. A lot of older couples in China actually sleep in separate rooms. And for their children, younger children, they actually worried. Does that mean their parents don't love each other anymore? Right. But for those older couples themselves, my parents, too, they are very happy sleeping in different room and they still do a lot of activities during the day. But as children, we sometimes wonder, "Mm, is that a good thing or not? It's really interesting that the stigma we have and the belief system about what the marital bed is really begins early, even among our children who might assume that, oh my goodness, if my parents sleep apart, that has to mean something negative about the relationship. Whereas in the parents are simply focused on getting good sleep because they know that that's probably the best thing they can do for their relationship. But this is actually true across cultures and something I dive really deep into in my book, understanding both the history of the meaning of the marital bed and how it's changed over time. And in doing so, my goal is really to help couples start to have a conversation about the importance of sleep in the context of their relationship first. And then second, it's about how do we get there? That is, how do we find the best sleeping strategy that's going to work for us as a couple to maximize our sleep so we can be the best partners we can be. And that might look different from couple to couple. One couple may really cherish and benefit from sleeping together, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for every couple. And another couple, for instance, where one partner snores, if if the other partner who's while sleeping with a snore is not getting good sleep, that's probably not the best thing for their sleep or their relationship. So other strategies, including potentially sleeping apart, sleeping in separate beds or separate bedrooms might be the best strategy for them. And I really wanna give couples permission to know that there isn't a one size fits all that's going to work for everyone, but prioritizing sleep 
is really critical for the quality of your relationship. And then, of course, talking to your children about that, you know, how mom and dad sleep together or don't sleep together really says nothing about the quality of our relationship. It's really about us doing what's best for our sleep, which is really important for our well-being. I really love that to really help people understand, right? You don't have to sleep together. It's really you need to look into your own relationship status, each Uh, partners sleep issues and to decide how what's the sleep arrangement basically within the family and it's not directly related to sleep uh relationship quality absolutely and when you think about it this way proportionally speaking if we spend about a third of our lives asleep that is a major proportion of our coupled existence so why should we be making decisions about how we sleep together or you know how we share that third of our lives with our partner or not why should we be basing that on society's prescription for what we should be doing that's a huge part of your life as a couple that decision should really be made at the couple level just like couples make all sorts of other decisions about their daytime behaviors and how they choose to relate as a couple based on their intrinsic values as individuals and as couples so too you know the decision decision about sleep is a very intimate and personal decision that is best made amongst two partners not you know societally prescribed um you know beliefs and ideas that a couple feels that they need to follow even if it doesn't quite jive with their own experience mhm yeah when you mentioned that remind me you know for a lot of couples it's easy to discuss which restaurant you want to go to what food you want to eat right but anything related to bedroom including sleep and sex and all the other things is so hard to have a conversation absolutely and to be honest with you we probably have sort of more instruction and more experience in talking about sex in the bedroom than we do about sleep which i'm here to tell you takes up a lot more time in bed <laughs> than sex does and yet think about it you know where in you know premarital therapy couples counseling um online dating apps does you know the notion of sleep and your sleep preferences your sleep wake behaviors whether you're a morning person or an evening person where does that ever come up in the context of relationships it is this critical like critically neglected area that makes such a difference in not only our individual lives and health and well-being but also in terms of how we behave as a partner so again one of my goals is to start elevating this conversation so it's not taboo to talk about you know what happens in the bedroom other than sex that is sleep um and help couples to realize wow there's lots of ways to do this and to support ourselves um, and in our unique relationship. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, definitely that's such an important analogy and understand that. I also really like uh what you mentioned in your book uh sleep is a new sex. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And you also just mentioned I think you mentioned in your book too prioritize sleep. 
is so important for our relationship. That's something I never really directly link before. Absolutely. Well, I say sleep is the new sex because in our increasingly sleep deprived society, uh, you know, getting good sleep is about as elusive as good sex. You know, everybody's talking about it, wish they had more of it, you know, talking to their friends and neighbors about, you know, and feeling jealous of those who seem to be getting more sleep or better sleep. And it's also true that prioritizing sleep is, you know, a great benefit, not only for your sex life, but also for your relationship quality as a whole. Because we know from really good scientific evidence that when an individual is poorly slept, um, it has it causes significant um, impairments in key sort of behaviors and emotions, which are critical for healthy relationship functioning. So, for instance, we know that uh, people who are not getting the sleep they need are more irritable. They're also more prone to mental health problems like depression, anxiety, uh, even substance use, which can have a really negative impact on relationships. We also know that under sleep-deprived conditions, people are less able to communicate effectively, and they're more prone to conflict. There's even studies to show that under sleep-deprived conditions, people show are less empathic, they're less able to read their partner's emotions, and a just um, published study showed that under sleep-deprived conditions, people are more selfish and they tend to act in less helpful or altruistic ways. So there's this emerging area of research now showing that sleep is intricately tied with our social brains and how we behave in interpersonal situations, including our closest uh, interactions. Wow. So it sounds like if there's some disagreement or conflicts in the relationship and sleep poorly, how's it going to make it worse? Exactly. And that's a great point because the truth of the matter is, and you know this as somebody who studies couples as well and works with couples, all relationships have some level of conflict in them. So a healthy relationship is not defined by the absence of conflict. Rather, a healthy relationship is really defined by how you engage in conflict when it occurs. Now, the problem is under poorly slept conditions or when you're sleep deprived, that pushes the balance towards people engaging in the more toxic relationship behaviors when they start engaging in conflict. So a sleep deprived person is more likely to respond in a hostile manner to their partner. They're more likely to attack. Um, They're also more likely uh, on the partner end to withdraw and become defensive. So being sleep deprived can really set a couple up to engage in the types of relationship behaviors that we know are sort of, you know, most toxic in the context of a conflict. Right. Wow. So the the way we choose wordings, right? How we really, and the attitude we are showing to our partner is going to be so different. 
Absolutely. There's a very different sort of emotional reaction and meaning when you come at your partner saying, you know, you always, uh, you know, mess this up or, you know, you never remember to, you know, take care of the kids Um, instead of saying, you know, and you're more likely to sort of come in with those always and never and really attacking sort of responses when you're sleep deprived because you're less able to manage and regulate your own emotions. What does that kind of, you know, you always or never attacking sort of, uh, you know, reaction, what impact does that have on the partner who's getting the receiving end of this? They're more likely to either withdraw and become defensive or attack back. So you have this escalating pattern of relationships and being sleep deprived makes you more likely to behave in that, in that manner, as opposed to saying, honey, you really disappointed me when, you know, you failed to, you know, pick up, you know, Johnny from school today, or, you know, you told me you would, you know, help me out with the dishes tonight. And then you were sitting on the couch that really hurt my feelings. So there's a qualitatively different response to the, you know, the first attacking um, set um, of responses to another response, which is expressing disappointment and expressing from using I statements, how this made me feel and being very specific about how your partner disappointed you, for instance. But the second example really allows for a conversation to ensue um, in a more healthy and productive way. And you're more likely to be able to do that when you have your wits about you, which happens when you get the sleep you need. Right, right. I definitely like the second example you provide, right? That sounds much more calm, understanding, even show a little bit vulnerability within ourselves, show, you know, empathy. So there's a, it's much nicer communication. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not easy to do. And, you know, because you have to really regulate yourself in the heat of a of conflict, it's easy to want to just lash back out and say all the negative things that are like, you know, popping up in your brain. So you do need to actively regulate those strong negative emotions in order to be productive and helpful while having a conflict with your partner or whomever. And, you know, not getting the sleep you need really is going to make it even harder to mount that kind of healthful and really well-regulated response. So we put ourselves in such a sort of even more challenging position if we're chronically sleep deprived to sort of be the best person we want to be, because it's really hard to rein in those negative emotions and that, you know, desire to attack um, and say the first thing that comes to mind when we're not feeding our bodies with that sleep it so desperately needs, which helps to support healthy emotional responding, healthy emotion regulation, empathy, and good communication skills. Mm. Sounds like definitely, I think it's very clear, a good quality of sleep is related to a lot of good abilities we are carrying into a relationship. Absolutely. And like I say, there's really exciting research coming out right now that actually shows at the brain level how sleep impacts 
these parts of the brain, which are considered sort of our social brains, the parts of our brains, which motivate sort of helpful or, you know, pro-social responses, things that help to um, promote bonding um, and sort of help helping behaviors. Um, And lack of sleep can really detract um, and make it more difficult uh, for that social part of the brain to respond in that pro-social manner. Yeah. So when we talk about sex, sleep, intimacy, attraction, I remember your book also mentioned, right? Not only this emotional attachment we talk about, but also physical attraction and uh, even sexual function could all be impacted by sleep. That was so cool. Like you, you sort out a lot of research in this book. Yes. I thought that was so important to cover because there's really some fascinating uh, research on sleep and sex. What's it, what's interesting is kind of anecdotally, what we hear more about is uh, this idea that, you know, sex is good for sleep. You know, you know, many people think of sex as a soporific that is something that induces sleep. And the reality is that may be true for some, but not for all. And there really actually just isn't a great deal of, you know, good scientific evidence um, demonstrating that to be true, that sex is good for sleep. But what we do know quite conclusively from research is that sleep is good for sex. As you mentioned, um, studies have shown that sleep can directly impact um, sexual and reproductive hormones, including testosterone in men. One study, which was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, for instance, you know, the preeminent medical journal, found that after sleeping for about a week of you know four or five hours um, of sleep per night, healthy young men showed about a 10% reduction in testosterone levels, this critical sexual hormone. Now, to put that into perspective, that's the equivalent of aging a man hormonally by 10 years. So a 45-year-old man hormonally starts to look more like a 55-year-old man. Um, So this is like a pretty whopping impact. But on the flip side, the positive side, which I also like to encourage people to remember, is another study in women found that for each extra hour of sleep a woman got, that increased her desire for intimacy and sex by about 14%. So sleep is quite powerful and has a direct impact on our sex hormones, um, on sort of the hormones related to bonding and affection, and on sexual frequency, desire, and pleasure. So prioritizing sleep has many benefits, including potentially enhancing our sex lives. Yeah. Wow. That's so important. I think you totally shift how we view it, right? I definitely hear a lot of people all like to do masturbation or sex to help feel tired, feel sleepy, but rarely we talk about the other way around. Yes, and I'm sure, you know, as a sex therapist, one of the most common uh, sort of reasons for low sexual frequency is the, you know, I'm too tired for sex, honey, complaint, right? So there is an antidote antidote to that. Get more sleep. And you might actually see less of that I'm too tired for sex, honey, um, comment. And moreover, both partners may be more likely to enjoy the sexual activity because when you're well slept, you know, your mood is better. You know, 
physically, you can be more in tune with your partner and the desire is greater. So there's lots of benefits to prioritizing sleep in the context of your relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And also when we talk about therapy, when we talk about treatment, I feel like there's a lot of things are similar between uh, sleep treatment and sex treatment. And there's, for example, in sleep treatment, when people have insomnia, they cannot sleep well. And we have this technique called sleep restriction, right? We're like, oh, you already have insomnia. You come in and sleep more, but we tell you, you have to sleep less temporarily in order to sleep better. In sex, there's something similar too. When people have like a sexual pain, you know, or not so good sex, sometimes we tell them, hold on the intercourse for ah. several months and really start exploring each other's body and, uh, you know, build this intimacy and the emotional attachment you mentioned, or maybe including sleep better, right? And hold off the, the big, you think what sex is. That yes. <laughs> That's so interesting. So you're, you know, enhancing your sex drive by restricting from sex and just sort of exploring everything. But sim similarly, as you said, in an insomnia treatment, we actually restrict the thing that is sleep that the person is so actively craving in order for the natural drive for sleep to increase. That's that's really fascinating. And I'm glad you mentioned the sleep treatment thing, because this is actually another important area that we as a field in sleep science and medicine have neglected. Our sleep treatments are entirely focused for the most part on the individual. And whether we like it or not, partners are along for the ride. And, you know, I've really advocated for, and now I'm developing sleep treatments that actively incorporate the partner. Because we know from research that when even when partners aren't actively included, you know, they insert themselves in the treatment. And sometimes the most well-intentioned partner actually does the exact wrong thing when it comes to supporting the treatment. So as you know, like an insomnia treatment, one of the things we do early on is restrict sleep. Now, a partner who doesn't know the context of the treatment will in a very supportive and well-meaning way often say, oh, honey, why are you, you know, working so hard at this? Sleep in, I'll take the kids in the morning, or why don't you go to bed early? You look really tired. And that you know, for somebody who doesn't understand the treatment seems like a really supportive thing to do. Unfortunately, it's exactly counterproductive in the context of effective insomnia treatment. So we really do need to do a better job as sleep clinicians, as well as sex therapists to incorporate the partner into the context of treatment because they really can make a big difference. Mm, I think you raise a really important and new concept in this field. Um, I definitely encounter a lot of individuals coming in for sleep treatment, right? But part of the sleep struggles, somewhat related to their bad partners. And especially you, you mentioned earlier, if they have different circadian rhythm, when super night owl, when super early morning person, they sleep on the same bed, how are they going to adjust that? And also when come in for treatment, how to help their partner understand how to support them better. Right. So I'm wondering, like, what if a couple, they have some kind of sleep struggle and they really want to work on this? Right. 
where can they get started? What are some things they should consider? Great question. I mean, first of all, it really depends on the nature of the problem. As you know, sleep can go awry in many, many different ways. And when you think about two people sleeping together um, and all the numbers of combinations of challenges that couples can face, that there are numerous ones. Let, you know, clearly a big couple level sleep challenge for many is snoring or sleep apnea. And so my first strategy there, if, you know, the bed partner snoring is your issue, the first thing there is to first find out if that snoring is a sign of a clinical sleep disorder, in this case, sleep apnea. So use that as a motivator, not just to sleep apart, but first to find out if your partner has a diagnosable sleep disorder like sleep apnea. Short of that, if snoring is the issue, sometimes sleeping apart is at least a temporary solution, if not more permanent for people. Earplugs can help, et cetera. Positional um, changes can often help with apnea. But in terms of the many other sleep challenges that couples face, whether one partner has insomnia or is just a light sleeper or if they're on different sleep-wake schedules, the basis, once you sort of identify sort of what the challenges are, or start to have communication around it. What's working and what's not working in the bedroom when it comes to sleep, not just sex. And really try to approach it in a way that your partner is going to be able to hear you. That means avoiding, you know, using language of you always do this or, you know, your X, Y, or Z behavior in bed is, you know, making me not sleep and you're driving me crazy. You know, really focus on the value of sleep. When I'm well slept, I'm a better partner. And this doesn't seem to be working for us because, you know, I get cold every night and you like it really hot or, you know, you're waking up early in the morning and I like to go, I like to sleep in in the morning. And I, I stay up later with more different uh, sleep-wake patterns. So really starting opening the stage for a healthy and open communication about what's happening without making any partner feel attacked or demeaned or criticized. It's really about figuring out what's wrong and then opening the door to the number of solutions that are possible. And again, if one partner has a sleep disorder, it's really critical that you know you support that partner in getting treatment because effective treatments do exist. And then there's lots of ways to problem solve around sort of individualizing sleep-wake preferences, sleep-wake behaviors, and making sure that one partner's preferences or behaviors aren't sort of completely superseding the others, causing neglect of the other partner's sleep, because it's critical that both partners get the sleep they need. Right, right. I love that. So communication is so important and high quality of communication. Yes. <laughs> All yeah. communication is not equal. So yes, it, it's how you go about it. Just like how you go about conflict is, you know, like, are you using communication that is actually going to be effective and actually help you all move the needle, not just make your partner feel bad or feel blamed? You, Your goal here is to really improve your sleep and improve both of your sleep ideally. So it's really about moving towards, you know, problem solving in an effective way. That's going to get you closer towards your goal and it's going to get you closer towards enhancing your relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about how to do what to do, uh, I would have to say I have to recommend all the audience about your book because your book has a lot of wonderful, you know, exercises and uh, checklists and things couples can use to fill out together to discussion points, right? I think those are great. You have almost uh, some different tasks for couples to do after each chapter. Yeah, that was a fun part. And I really, you know, that this is a great way to acculturate couples and give them a strategy to open up these conversations. Because like I said, we really just don't culturally have good strategies for engaging in these conversations. So there's a bunch of fun exercises that represent sort of a merging of both relationship research as well as sleep research. And I sort of merge them into these fun, I hope, exercises that couples can engage in together and just learn to have that kind of dialogue about my sleep, your sleep, our sleep, you know, and how do we make this work together and and doing it in a fun way so it doesn't feel so taboo or, you know, such a mystery. It kind of gives couples a stepping stone to say, oh, here's how we approach it. And then we can use this as a launching point to figure out, you know, where we need to go with this in our own relationship. Because really, it does just start with having communication around it, which is, it's just too often neglected when it comes to sleep. We assume it should be one way. And then if it doesn't work perfectly, many people will then start to worry and feel like, oh my gosh, what does this mean for our relationship? Instead of just saying sleep is just one part, it's a critical part, but it's just one part of our relationship as a whole. And just as with anything in a relationship, sometimes it takes negotiation and compromise, and that's really okay. It's just how you do it that matters. Yeah, I really love this. So whoever are listening, right, if you are interested in learning more about Dr. Trussell's um, work, Buy this book. You can find it on Amazon, right? Sharing the covers and a lot of wonderful exercise in it to help you learn how to carry a conversation with your partner about sleep. If you don't know how to do it, don't worry, right? <laughs> There's a lot of guidance in this book. I really love the book. I do a lot of highlighting and noting in this book. So I hope, um, you know, whoever gets the book also enjoy it. So Dr. Truxo, thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful knowledge with us. If uh, our audience want to learn more about your work, uh, where can they find you? Well, thanks so much. And thanks for those lovely words about my book. I appreciate um, the wonderful endorsement from you. Yes, um, you can go to my website, wendytroxel.com on Instagram. It's uh, sharing the covers um, or Twitter is Wendy Troxel. Um, you can also just um, Google and find a lot of um, information about my TED Talks. I have two of them um, and uh, also other uh, research that I've done in the past and that um, I'm doing currently. It's been a real pleasure getting to talk to you today. Wonderful. Yes, I went to sleep conference. I saw a lot of your like your lab's research, very active in this field. All these posters and research talks, so interesting. I cannot wait to learn more and follow up to see what more research you guys come up with later. Oh, well, thanks so much. Yeah, it's a really exciting time to be in sleep, sleep research and it's neat to grow this next generation of wonderful sleep researchers as well. So that's today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do enjoy it, please consider leaving an honest review for my show. 
Reviews can really help this podcast grow and reach out to more audience. I really appreciate that. I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.